You're listening to the Vineyard Milwaukee podcast. For more information about Vineyard Milwaukee Church, visit vineyardmilwaukee.com. Now here's this week's message. Good morning, Vineyard Milwaukee. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. So we're going to be kind of bringing the message to you together today. Together. So we got our coffee ready to go. Um, So if you've been with us last Sunday and uh, through our most recent Wednesday wellness checks, you know we've started this new series called Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Because we know a lot of us are feeling overwhelmed just in general, but especially during this quarantine, this can be a time for a lot of people that lots of um, unwanted thoughts and feelings are surfacing as a lot of the activity and workload and extracurriculars and social engagement that we were all had going on in our lives have kind of been stripped away. And as a result, we have this extended times of isolation and more solitude and time to ourselves. Our sleep schedules are off and all of those things can create an atmosphere where anxious thoughts and regrets and all kinds of feelings can start to surface. And so we thought we'd start this series on overwhelmed. And last week we talked about how to manage your thought life. Um, And over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about some of the kinds of things that tend to surface, things like shame, depression, fear and control, addiction. And so today we're starting out with a fun topic. Shame. 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 Oh, great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Really fun topic. Looking forward to it. So this this can be hard to talk about, but um, if you think that you may struggle with shame, please know that you are not alone. No. That you are a human being. And so this is something we all struggle with. And so we just thought uh, we're going to just be in this together. And Dave and I are going to share a few personal stories of how we've seen shame uh, work its way into our life and and then hopefully offer you some hope with uh, this kind of the solution to overcoming shame in our lives. So, um, you know, last week I talked about this experience of our thought life and I, I shared a story of of how throughout a lot of my life, I always struggled with this uh, false belief that God was mad at me or disappointed in me for some reason. And and quite honestly, that thought kind of took root from a lot of sources throughout my formational years, but it sort of developed into really an experience of shame. This just sense that I lacked value or worth in some way because there was something kind of corrupt or bad about me. And, um, And as I was kind of planning this, a memory came to mind when I was a freshman in college. And Dave and I actually met at college. We went to a Christian college. And my freshman year, I got in big trouble for breaking a bunch of rules, <laughs> which is actually not hard to do at a Christian college. So um, I, got, I, I didn't break any rules. No, Dave, Dave just didn't get caught. But I did get caught and for breaking some rules. And as a result, I got in trouble and I had to go meet with the dean of students several times for kind of these counseling sessions. And um, I remember around that period of time in my life, I was also struggling coming out of an unhealthy relationship and just some tough things going on and then getting in trouble at school. And through those experiences, I actually uh, began to form a very personal relationship with Jesus. I had grown up in a Christian home, but I really hadn't developed a very, uh, you know, rich, meaningful prayer life. And so through this sort of crisis in my life, I began this journey with Jesus. I would go down to the the bay near our college and just sit on a deck and pray and cry and sing. And I was 
developing this really neat intimacy with God that I hadn't had. And so I remember in the first meeting I had with this dean of students um, to discuss getting in trouble and uh, what we we're going to do about it. I remember her saying to me, well, so how do you see your relationship with God? And I actually answered very honestly. I said, honestly, my relationship with God right now is kind of cool. It's kind of evolving in a, in a new way. I, um, I've struggled with feeling close to God. And through all of this, I've been spending a lot more time praying and actually feel a lot closer to God maybe than I ever have. And I just remember, plain as day, I just remember her kind of throwing her arms back and all dramatically saying, well, isn't that convenient? You get in trouble and all of a sudden you're getting close to God. And I just remember when this happened, just something inside me said, man, I need to learn how to play this Christian game better. I need to learn how to hide and say the right things if I'm going to be accepted and, and be valued in this community. And so sometimes our shame can come out of um, mistakes that we make and um, you know, making bad choices and then judgments that we put on ourselves and others put on us. And we just start to feel like we can't be ourselves in front of God or in front of people. And then sometimes shame kind of evolves out of things that are out of our control. They're just just flaws that we have or, or just things that somebody has said is wrong with the way we look or, or we lack some kind of ability and we just develop shame around what we might experience as some kind of weakness. And I know you were sharing yeah, some so, of those struggles. Uh, talking about like, you know, shame that's sort of been brought out of something that's out of your control. I remember as a, as a little kid and in, in growing up in Brooklyn, New York, and then moving to Portland, Maine. Um, so it's going from this like city of Brooklyn to, you know, big city, New York to, to Portland and, and, uh, being the new kid on the block. And I was in middle school of, of all, of all phases Hate in life. Middle school. And, uh, I'll never, I was a chubby kid. I was always a chubby kid. You know, I'm the kid who had a shop at the Husky section, <laughs> which is awful. But I remember going and all, I remember going into this classroom and, and all the kids in the class, they all knew each other. Mm-hmm. Like they had been together since like kindergarten. And here we are in, in sixth grade or seventh grade. And, and, um, and I'm the new kid and I'm a fat kid. Mm. And I remember uh, the names that would fly around, like even from day one. And like, so like day one of middle school for me, there was like fat shaming going on mm. and, and just felt, I, I was done. I was done. There was mm-hmm. no way to recover from yeah. that. Right. So it was like, uh, I immediately couldn't be in with the in crowd. I couldn't, uh, trying to maneuver that and find friendships. Um, you just shut down, mm-hmm. you shut down from people. Um, you want to run away from people, avoid people at all costs and isolate. Right. And so I found with, with school, uh, friends, like I just completely isolated. Yeah. I, I try not to engage in, in too much of anything. I had a couple friends eventually, mm-hmm. but like for the most part, it was like an awful experience and it became part of who I am. Yeah. And what's really sad about things like that is when we get um, sort of shamed for things that have to do with the way we look or our abilities or lack of abilities. Um, you know, there's sometimes there can be truth around things that are said. You know, I get teased for being late. And I am late often. But what happens is if we identify a a sense of value. So in other words, if we actually think we are less valued or less worthy of love and belonging because of the thing that that 
you know, the, the, the flaw of the way we look or something. So, in, you know, in your case, you were sort of rejected. Like, you don't totally. belong. We don't want, you don't have value here because of the way you look. Yeah. Um, and so I think we can all probably identify with all of these things. Um, shame around the way we look, shame around um, just abilities that we, you know, might be weaknesses or somebody else is smarter than us or better at their job or keeps a cleaner house or is a better mom or gosh, the list could go on and on. Just all the ways that we feel like we fall short. Um, and then also the struggle, like I talked about, where we just feel like, man, there's kind of like a rebellion in me or there's something kind of bad or corrupt or dark in me. And if that got exposed, then I would be rejected and I wouldn't be valued and loved. And so um, this can be really hard. And I think, um, I think in this season of social isolation, this may be something that a lot of us are struggling with. And so we just want to unpack this a little bit today, kind of where did shame come from and then what the solution is, and then maybe end with some practical steps of how we can move forward into the freedom that um, Jesus actually bought for us. So we're just going to pray and then kind of dive into some scripture together. So Lord, I just thank you so much that um, we get to just connect with um, our friends and brothers and sisters right now through this venue. And I pray that you would just put power on this message, that you would highlight something for each person listening, um, just an area you want to speak into their life. If nothing else, I pray that people would be filled with hope at your compassion and that the, and the freedom that is available to them. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, as we kind of talked about, you know, shame uh, often comes out of our formational years. So throughout our childhood, um, adolescence, even young adulthood, often it comes from words or actions or even something that's implied in our household. And so these sort of judgments that are spoken over us kind of become judgments in us. And they tell us something other than that we are the beloved son or daughter of God. And so, unfortunately, we kind of can get stuck in these places of, of wounding that where shame has taken root. And so we have these sort of trigger spots in us. So our spouse may just tease us indirectly about something, and it hits that trigger, that early wound that developed into shame, and we just respond really strongly. We get really defensive, and we pull away from people, or we start shutting down and hiding, or we get really aggressive because that sort of shame trigger um, from that wound that just really hasn't been healed. And then we start to believe that, you know, we're only worth what we produce or how beautiful we are, how successful or how tall or thin or artistic or smart, popular, desirable, whatever our thing is. Uh, we start to feel like we have to hustle for love, hustle for our value, hustle for worth. And, um, you know, we don't feel like we can just be beloved because we are uh, human, because we are uh, created in the image of God and that he loves us and then that's enough. And so it makes this really hard to be vulnerable. It makes us afraid to be ourselves in front of people. We feel like we have to hide and cover up and actually it can be really terrifying to really be vulnerable and um, to show our weaknesses openly or tell the truth when we've made a mistake. And so by definition, um, shame is the fear, is the fear that Something we've done or failed to do or an ideal we have not lived up to makes us unworthy of love and connection. 
says like I'm unlovable or don't belong. Uh, many of you may have be familiar with Brene Brown and the the research she's done around shame and vulnerability. She's written several books. She has a very popular TED talk on the subject. If you want to Google it after. Uh, but she describes shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So it really is this scary feeling of I am going to be rejected because they've seen this this ugly part of me. So shame says things like, you know, we fail the test, let's say. It's not like, oh, we messed up or maybe we just were struggling with these concepts. It says, no, you are a failure. Or we experience, like Dave described, social rejection. So it may not be evidence of the complexities of social relationships, but rather you are a loser. Um, if you're struggling at your job, you know, it could be that this is maybe not a strength of mine or maybe not the right fit for me. But shame says, no, you are stupid. And so, you know, the question is, how did this happen? How did we as humans forget that we were beloved children of God, made in the image of God, just fully loved and valuable for who we are? Um, how did it turn in and get distorted? Well, it didn't start with us. Yeah. Right. It, it started long before you and me. Mm -hmm. Right. Shame entered the scene way back in the garden. Uh, Adam and Eve were were born from the love of God, in God, through God, for God. Mm -hmm. um, they had a trusting relationship with each other and an intimacy between God and humans. And you know the story. Uh, God put the tree in the garden. Uh, God gave Adam and Eve a choice, either like trust God's definition of good and evil or... Uh, they could be independent and define what is good and evil for themselves. And, well, Adam and Eve, of course, disobey God, right? And there is this serpent that seizes the moment from the shadows to hijack their identity. Mm -hmm. And when they disobeyed God, rather than just experiencing guilt for messing up, the serpent told them that you're naked mm -hmm. and you need to hide from God and each other. Because if anyone sees who you really are, you'll be rejected because who you really are is bad, mm -hmm. right? So not only have you sinned, but uh, you are your sin. You are sin. Mm -hmm. And you may have messed up, but what the serpent tries to do is distort your identity. But when we're created in the image of God, as his children, mm -hmm. uh, his beloved, you. Listen, you, you may be guilty of something. Mm -hmm. We all are guilty of something. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the difference between shame and guilt, though, is that guilt is focused on a behavior. Right. And shame is focused on identity. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, like, when someone, when has someone told you you were naked? When was your, like, first memory of having your true identity hijacked? Did it have to do with like your body image, your race, economic status, education, work ethic? And here's the thing. After all that, th there's like these results that happen. Like the first tragedy is relationship. Mm -hmm. um, you, you develop this, this, uh, this problem where you can't trust anybody, right? You can't trust. Adam and Eve, they didn't trust each other. They had to cover themselves up, right? Uh, the second thing is intimacy. Um, between God and human, is it's lost mm -hmm. when this happens. So like Adam and Eve, they lost intimacy with God. 
So how do we overcome shame Mm -hmm. in our lives? We typically do what Adam and Eve did, is they start to play the blame game. Everyone's played the blame game. You know, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the snake. Snake, well, he is what he is, right? (laughs) So we blame other people for our issues. We can compare ourselves to others to feel better about ourselves, judge others as as worse than us, Mm -hmm. and we become part of this sort of shaming culture. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing actually that shaming culture just more and more in our society Mm -hmm. and where we are. Mm -hmm. And you know, according to the research, we typically judge people in most often areas um, where we're the most vulnerable ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Mm And the Bible is actually really pretty clear on this, that there's only one person worth comparing our lives to, Mm -hmm. and that's Jesus. Yeah. And the reality is we all fall miserably short (laughs) if we're going to compare ourselves to Jesus. Um, In in Paul's great epistle to the Romans, um, he describes this really directly. He says, um, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who sees God. All have turned away and have have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And then uh, Romans, there's kind of a famous verse. um, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what Paul's really in essence saying here is he's kind of, painting a rather depressing picture of humanity, but he's kind of showing like we're all in the same boat. Like the reality is there is something broken there. That feeling that I think there's something wrong with me is actually accurate. There, there is um, deceit in us. There are, there's cynicism in us. Um, There's just broken places that come out of wounding that come out of our own selfishness come from all kinds of places, but there are things that are broken in us that manifests sometimes in really ugly ways. But the reality is that is true for every one of us. And so comparing ourselves to each other, there's no point because we're really mm-hmm. all in the same boat. That's right. And we all fall short of, of the ideal human, which is Jesus. And so it helps if we can just kind of accept this reality that we do all have flaws, that we have physical deficits, that we have imperfections and flaws, and that we sometimes make bad choices and we make mistakes, and that there are really broken places inside of us. And there's some stuff that needs to be exposed and healed and cleaned up. So the tough thing is, how do we accept this reality, live in this reality that, okay, I'm, I'm not perfect. There are some actually deeply broken places in me without experiencing and living in shame. Shame being this belief that, therefore, we don't have value. We're not worth love and belonging. And so this belief that these flaws and broken places actually separate us from the love of God. And so there's really only one solution to the problem of shame, and his name is Jesus. If we look again at Romans uh, verses uh, 
in chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, it says, Consequently, just as one trespass, and this is meaning the trespass of Adam and Eve that Dave just talked about, resulted in condemnation for all people. So in other words, that's when shame entered the scene. And uh, this results in this, this experience of condemnation. That there's something wrong that separates us from God and from each other. So also, one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So just as Adam and Eve, the original human, through their disobedience, we all fell under shame. It's through the one man, Jesus, who is now the new Adam, who has restored and reclaimed our identity, we can be made righteous. And that shame is lifted. And so the truth of the gospel is that Jesus, who had done no wrong, who, who didn't have any corruption or darkness in, in, inside of him, that he was publicly shamed, that he his nails were driven in his hands into his feet, a spear into his side, and he was made sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. So he literally scorned shame, it says in Hebrews on the cross. It says in Hebrews uh, 12:2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so this is the really exciting news. And this is actually the scripture, if you're going to take away one, that you should really focus on. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So this is the challenging tension that we live in as followers of Jesus is that we simultaneously, we're, we have to, we are living almost in two worlds simultaneously. We are raised up with Christ. The work that was done for us on the cross means that we are seated with him in the heavenly realms and that we are currently seen as blameless and whole and fully evolved with all of our childhood wounds healed and all of the corruption that has come out of the sin around us, done to us, and that we have done has been cleaned up and taken care of on the cross. And so we are sitting blameless before God, nothing se separating us from his love. But we are also living into that truth and into that reality while we're still here on earth. So we are still in process here on earth, living into who we actually really are in the heavenly realms. And so that means that we're all going to still be struggling with bad habits and bad attitudes and occasionally critical spirits and insecurities and addictions and other struggles here on earth, but that we are still becoming who we actually really are. And so while we're in this process, we need to also recognize that we are fully and completely and unconditionally loved and accepted just as we are today. And so we don't have to hide because we don't have to hustle for love and acceptance and worth. It was already purchased for us on the cross. And so we have it completely, not partially. The full weight of our adoption has already been made. The full weight of our Father's love has been poured into us through the blood spilled on Calvary. And so this is the only place to be set free from shame. 
And so the beautiful thing is that Jesus restored our identity as God's beloved children on the cross so that once again we could walk in the cool of the day with our Father without hiding anything. And so I think the tricky part of this is taking this truth and this reality and then making it a, a, a realization in our lives, actually walking this out, walking in the freedom that has been given to us. And so we just want to kind of close today with some practical steps we can take. Many of us know this truth, and yet we have a hard time walking in this truth. And so we just want to talk about how can we actually walk in this truth? Uh, what are some steps we can take in real time to live out the freedom that Christ bought for us on the cross? Yeah, so there's a few here. The, the first one is courage, Yeah. right? Courage, where you neutralize shame when you're brave enough to bring your shame into the light. So basically what that means is you're going to say it aloud. you got mm-hmm. you got to speak it out. you got to actually uh, speak out loud what's going on. Shame, um, you got to speak it to yourself, to God, and to others. Yeah. And there's real power in that because uh, what shame actually loves is secrecy, darkness, isolation, and judgment. And you fight it by being authentic about your experience, yeah. right? And even being willing to say, I'm feeling shame right now mm-hmm. in this conversation, mm-hmm. you know, uh, be willing to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the most beautiful uh, opportunities I've had to see shame broken is when people have come to receive prayer at church and they have confessed, uh, at least in my experience, like to me, like, hey, I did this thing. I'm feeling shame around it. And as we've prayed, just the love and forgiveness of the Father just poured over them. And I see uh, just the power of they have confessed it openly, brought it to the light, and it's just the, the power that shame has been broken. And I see them then begin to be able to walk, you know, walk out their freedom and kind of even are empowered to overcome the thing they're struggling with or just to receive that forgiveness and, and be able to move forward from it. And so there is such power in speaking this to someone and even in that moment just receiving God's forgiveness again even though it's already offered to us there's such power and with a brother or sister kind of having that forgiveness just poured into your heart in a, in a really uh, powerful way yeah. um, and I think too there's some courage that we need to uh, experience in digging to the root of our shame and so sometimes we find ourselves triggered over and over again and we talked about Wednesday, that shame voice. We're mm-hmm. kind of hearing that shame voice to be willing to go, where is this voice coming from? Because I think sometimes when we dig back into the origin, then we can find real healing and ask God to like meet us in that, in that original place of shame. And it takes courage to do that, to be willing to do some digging and go back to those places of yeah. early wounding. The second one is compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, compassion's the, the caring response to suffering. For, uh, for others and, and actually for yourself too. When, when we see the shame of others, we feel compassion and we want to help. However, we often are, are the ones that are in the shame, right? And we're unlikely to show ourselves compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we lack compassion, we usually judge and we try to fix others and we try to fix ourselves. And that's where we get, sort of get buried in it, mm-hmm. right? Having compassion means being willing to see and feel the pain, to sit with it. And it's hard even to sit with your own pain, right? And that's why even in this pandemic right now, we're having time and space and we're, we're, we're sitting with, but we're not giving ourselves compassion mm-hmm. um, to, the, to, to suffer with uh, uh, and including yourself in that. Yeah. 
And I think that's huge. You know, you mentioned earlier, we tend to judge others most harshly in the areas we judge ourselves. Right. And I think that's true because um, that self-compassion, I think, is a real key to overcoming shame to say, you know what, this is, um, you know, an area I struggle with and I'm in hu- I'm human in process and I need to give myself some grace to be in process. I, we are not fully evolved yet. We're not... Right fully there. None of us are fully whole. And so we need to offer ourselves compassion to be in process. And um, we did this really beautiful exercise in my faith walking journey um, where we kind of imagined ourselves in a moment when we were experiencing shame. And we really took time to go back to that experience and feel the feelings of shame. And then we asked Jesus to show where he was in the room and what he's doing and what he wanted to say to us in that moment. And that was a really powerful way for me to experience even Jesus' compassion toward me in that moment where I was experiencing shame. And so that's kind of a cool exercise you could do is just take yourself back to that time. And, you know, I think if you took yourself back to that middle school classroom oh, totally. and just yeah. ask Jesus to, what were you doing? Right. And what do you want to say to my that 13-year-old boy? That's you right. know, that's right. And real healing can, can come out of that that even has an impact in your life now, later, 40, 50 years later, from that early place of wounding. Yeah. And the last one is connection. Um, we're actually, we are wired to be deeply connected. Mm-hmm. Um, we literally were wired this way. We were created this way. Adam and Eve were created to be connected to each other and to God. Mm-hmm. Right? So what shame does is shame steals that from you. It makes you either try to hide or try to fake it. Mm-hmm. and especially where we are right now, it's so easy to hide. It's so easy to hide. It's so easy like to say, you know what, I'm not going to go to that huddle group. Forget it. It's okay. I'm not going to go and even listen to this talk all the way through. Right. You know, I'm just going to totally, I'm not going to call up uh, a friend of mine anymore because I'm just, I'm just stuck in it. Right. And that's what shame wants to do. It wants to isolate. So connection is so key because shame depends on you hiding. Mm-hmm. Uh, shame loses power when you reach out. When you share your story and realize that we're all in this together, mm-hmm. right? We're all in this, sh- this sort of shame storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have to learn to reach out. Uh, when others are in shame, it helps to build a bridge, a connection towards them, mm-hmm. right? So reaching out to others, even, you know, that, that you feel like, I, I need to talk to this person. Right. I can't isolate. I got to reach out. And connect. Right. And, and I really think that's key, the sort of uh, the connection and the courage piece, you know, to... Connect with other people and have the courage to tell the truth, to be authentic, uh, to say when you've messed up uh, or what you're really struggling with. And then I think that creates space for other people to also be vulnerable. Uh, When you're being so vulnerable and transparent, other people feel free to then share their mistakes or their struggles. And it really creates this atmosphere of of safety we're we're allowed we give each other grace to be in process and to tell the truth and to say when they've messed up and receive forgiveness um and it really just is contagious to kind of open the door up but i think it takes some courage to be the leader and be the first one to kind of open up that space to to you know bring our whole selves into the relationship you know i i was reminded of about a year ago um my niece took Dave and I to the the musical Dear Evan Hansen, which is really a cool musical. And um, they dealt with a lot of these themes of love and belonging and shame. And um, 
and this struggle with wanting to hide. Uh, and I wanted to just read a few lyrics from um, one of the songs that, that they sing kind of toward the end of the musical. It says, um, no, I'd rather pretend I'm something better than these broken parts. Pretend I'm something other than this mess that I am. Because then I don't have to look at it and no one gets to look at it. No, no one can really see because I've learned to slam on the brakes before I even turn on the key, before I make the mistake, before I lead with the worst of me. I never let them see the worst of me. Because what if everyone saw? What if everyone knew? Would they like what they saw or would they hate it too? Well, I just keep on running away from what's true. All I ever do is run. So how do I step in, step into the sun? Now, I think that's what we all hunger for, the freedom to step into the sun, to bring our whole selves into relationships with others. And ideally, church should be the safest place for us to be able to do that, that this would be a place where we could cultivate freedom yeah. and safety to be vulnerable, to be in process, to bring our struggles, to bring our mistakes, to pray for each other and encourage each other and challenge each other to become fully who we actually already are in the heavenly realms. And so I think this is the key of just really grasping hold of our true identity in Jesus, that nothing, no thing can separate us from the love of God, that there's no condemnation over those in Christ Jesus, and that we are working into the reality of who we already are, our true and whole selves in the heavenly realms. And so I just encourage you to have the courage to be vulnerable and to have compassion for yourself while you're in process and for others while they're in process and to develop deep connection with God and others and bring your whole self into those relationships. Thanks for joining us this morning. See you, Vineyard Milwaukee. Go in peace, Vineyard Milwaukee. Be the church.